SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. to SciShow Tangents, the likely competitive knowledge showcase starring some of those geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, joining me as always are Stefan Chin. Hello there. It's been a while since we recorded, so yeah. I actually haven't seen you in a while. How have things been going? Nothing's new. I'm still moving in. Very oh, wow. slowly. <laughs> like, take one thing out of the box each day. We're also joined by Sam Schultz. Hello. Who's got very blue hands right now. That was going to be my tagline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know Stefan what his tagline was. Oh, uh, channeling that big Zamboni energy. Ooh, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam, sorry. Okay. Uh, let's start all over again. Hi, Sam. Hi, Hank. Um, so tell me about your tagline then. <laughs> Very what? natural intro. Um, oh, well, we're going to leave the first one in. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, my tagline is currently covered in blue paint. For a secret reason. We've also got Sari Riley. Hello. Hello. I'm waiting waiting for a prompt, a question to answer. (laughs) Sari, what is your tagline? 
Yikes. Just, just several yikes or just one? Oh, just Ooh. one yike. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Hank Green. My tagline is all new skin. <laughs> Our worst intro yet. <laughs> uh, I think it was tight. Tight as a mofo right there. That was really together. <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory and also playing for Hank Bucks. I've had several people reach out on Twitter and they say to me, you know, you should probably keep track of who's doing good in the Hank Bucks department. Uh, well, so maybe we should do this. Early on, there was a good reason not to. Yeah. Because we weren't doing them in order. Oh, now, now we now are. we can. I think yeah. we'll probably be totally fine. Okay, let's do we it. We can figure out a way to do that. Okay. Yeah, I want people to be into the metagame of all of this. I'm mostly, I'm scared that it'll be like very skewed in Ooh, some way yeah. and we won't realize it. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll skewed see. towards me. Probably skewed towards Sam. <laughs> yeah. Since the show is called Sideshow Tangents, you might expect that we go off on some of those, but we try to stay on topic. And if we go off on a tangent, if it is deemed to be unworthy, the rest of the team can force you to give up a Hank Buck for your bad tangent. Mm-hmm. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with a traditional science poem this week from Sari Riley. There are plants shaped like pitchers with fluid within and digestive enzymes to break down what has been unlucky enough to fall into these traps, except for one species. It's perfect for naps. Its mammalian tenants get sleepy by day, need a safe haven to roost and keep predators away. Whether they're flying solo or a mom-baby pair, cute woolly bats snuggle in and take care. Now you might ask, what's the plant get from it? Well, the bats pay their dues, and their currency is shit. Nitrogen-rich bat guano is a precious treat for a plant starved by poor soil that just wants to eat. So a bat and its toilet, what a friendship, what a team. And bat poop, I guess, is worth more than it seems. Ah, this week's uh, (laughs) topic is bats, not poop. Not pitcher oh. plants. <laughs> not, I know. <laughs> it could be a lot of different things. Oh, uh, mutualistic Not mutualistic relationships, yeah. but mm-hmm. just generally bats. Mm. That's a good bat fact that you turned into a very good poem. Very good. Usually, Sari defines our topic for us. Do you have a, what is a bat? What is a bat? What is a bat? Are they all related to each other or are they, did, did they ever convergently evolve? I don't actually know oh. the answer to that question. They're all related to each other okay. as far as I know. Yeah, I think that They're, is the case. In an order called Chiroptera. Mm, do you know what their clade is? I don't. Because I know what their clade is. What's Ooh. a clade? A clade is a taxonomical subcategory. Okay. Basically. I think it's a category within another taxonomical category. Uh, but you, there's lots of different kinds of clades. But they are in the clade Scrotifera, which mm-hmm. is mammals with scrotums. Mm. Though we are not in Scrotifera, which Wait. is a little confusing. <laughs> Why not? Is ours different? Well, it, ours is different. I uh. think that our scrotums evolved separately from bat scrotums. Okay. But I'm not sure. I just know that we're not in Scrotifera uh, and bats are. So all Scrotifera evolved from one ancient scrotum. Correct. <laughs> I mean, Interesting. Yeah, that I really? mean, they definitely came from the genes contained in one ancient scrotum. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. There's something poetic about it. <laughs> uh, but sorry, I inter- interrupted because I wanted to talk about scrotums. Does anybody want to charge me for that? I don't no, think so. Relevant. I liked it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It, bats have scrotums, part of the definition of a bat. Uh, they also have, <laughs> they're the only mammal that actually flies. So there are other mammals that can glide. They have membranes between their limbs, but bats have modified arms, essentially, mm-hmm. that they can flap and fly through the air and don't just soar down like a flying squirrel or a kalugo or something like that. And all bats have a common bat ancestor. As far as I know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Papa Scroat, I think they called him. 
<laughs> and then the, they're the second largest order of mammals, which I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. like by number of species that they Wait, have. Wait, second largest? Yeah. I thought they were Rodent. the largest. Yeah, I thought so too. Rodents, yeah. Oh, oh rodentia. Like you're learning something. You're learning from the show. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and some of them eat insects or fruit. Like those are the two main categories of mm-hmm. bat food. Uh, and and blood. And yeah, blood. what about the drinking blood? Yeah, about- then they're vampire bats who are off <laughs> in their own corner. That and they gave on all other bats a really bad name, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think also bats carry a lot of diseases mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. especially like viruses and stuff that are transmissible to humans, uh, which probably helped spread get- the vampire myth. Okay, so we know what bats are. Yes. yes. They're cute, too. I they're, think they're really cute. Yeah, Sam cute. defined bats. They're cute. I already did. <laughs> they're, they're fuzzy, cute fly balls. Are even the big ones cute? Like yeah. the two to three oh, meter wingspan? Like spans? a flying fox? Yeah. Yeah, I would be oh, yeah. a flying fox. And now it is time for... <laughs> One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment. <laughs> One science fact. Hopefully Ooh. you've listened to previous episodes and know how this segment works yeah. already. <laughs> so there's two fake facts. One true fact. And the other panelists have to figure out either by luck or wild guess which is the true fact. If we do, we get a Hank book. If we don't, then Stefan gets that Hank book. Give me it. Stefan, what are your bat facts? Fact number one. The lesser short-tailed bat is the only species of bat that we know of that has evolved flightlessness. It lives in New Zealand and crawls around on all fours foraging for food and chews into trees to create little burrows for itself. Flightless bat! If that's not real, I'm going to give you a Hank Buck anyway. Ooh, I'll take it. (laughs) Fact number two. While the vast majority of bats are nocturnal, the Simone flying fox is the only bat that exhibits, quote, strong diurnal proclivities, meaning that they are active and forage during the daytime. Okay. And number three, Weird. while most bats grab onto things with their feet and roost upside down, the bats in the genus Thyroptera are one of two bat genera that roost head up, but it's the only one that uses suction from little cups on its hands and feet to hang onto leaves so it can do that. <gasps> That's cute. So we've got flightless bats that burrow into trees, the daytime bat, and suction bat that roosts head up. Oh, man. There are so many different kinds of bats. So, like, mm-hmm. any of these seem totally plausible. I am a big fan of the flightless, flightless bat, though, because I would never have thought of a flightless bat existing. But, I like, it totally could. It makes sense. Would you say it was from New Zealand or something? Mm-hmm. Where There's also lots of flightless birds down there. Mm-hmm. The diurnal bat seems the fakest to me. Because, because it feels like there'd be lots of diurnal bats. Yeah. Because, like, not all bats are nocturnal, I think, which, like, by definition means that some of them have to be diurnal. Also, not all bats eat insects. So, like, there are bats that eat fruit, and you don't need to look for fruit at night necessarily. Right. Right. So are bats mostly nocturnal because that's when the bugs are out? I don't know. Why? Because it's not like they need to worry about predators too much, except for, like, I guess birds of prey. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be hard to catch a bat. I am going to go for the lesser short-tailed bat. The bat that does not fly. Flightless bat. I'm going to do suction cup bat also because I love it. I pick suction cup bat too. Okay. Uh, It was the suction cup bat. Ah! So the Simone flying fox is mostly diurnal. And there are a few species that we know of that fly around during the day. But there's only like four four species total, and they all live on islands where there are not predatory birds. Hmm. I think the leading hypothesis for why bats became nocturnal in the first place is that when they were first evolving, they had to 
compete with predatory like hawks and right. owls and things who are probably way 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 better at flying than they are yeah right okay and i typed in flightless bat into google and i got the new zealand lesser short-tailed bat mm-hmm. but it's not flightless. it's not flightless it just crawls around a lot yes <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> it's just lazy yeah no i it I don't know why it does it, but that and the common vampire bat both spend a lot of their time on all fours, like walking around, walking around. Lazy makes sense to me for that because it probably takes a lot lot of energy to fly. (laughs) Yeah, but you go much faster than when you're just walking around with your big wings. And it's like harder to run around when you have wing arms. Yeah, like your big, your hand is, your hands are just giant. Yeah, flaps and skin. Yeah, walking on your hands or something. Yeah, Yeah. just like one knuckle, right? (laughs) Because their wings are their. Digits spread out. Yeah. Yeah, So, Um, but yeah, so those bats still fly. The New Zealand one does actually chew into trees to make little burrows for itself, Mm. uh, whereas most bats roost. Hmm. Right. And these ones actually roost most of the time, just sometimes they chew into a tree. Uh, So then the true thing was about the suction cups. And there are two genuses, Thyroptera, which are the disc winged bats, but they use suction to stick onto leaves. And the other genus, Mysopoda, are called sucker-footed bats, but they don't use suction. They secrete a sticky, wet fluid oh. from their Whoa, pads. cool. Whoa. They just, like, have stuff that leaks out of their fingers. Yeah. I'm glad that's not me. Yeah. Well, you could climb I stuff, mean, though. But, like, touching things. Yeah, that would be a struggle. Typing would be hard. You just wear, wear gloves. gloves, yeah. yeah. And then you take your glove off at the end of the day and be like, look at all my goop that has been <laughs> accumulating inside of my glove. Ooh. You know, when you go to the bathroom, you change your glove. Right. I like this. I like this speculative universe <laughs> yeah. in which everybody has to change gloves every 30 minutes. <laughs> Everyone just because really we evolved sticky. from sticky people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next up is the fact off. But first, a word from our sponsors. Special Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff, Uh, because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Now get ready for the fact off. Two panelists bring science facts. To, that was a big one. Bring science <laughs> facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees each have a Hank Buck to award the fact they like the most. So you award it to the one who blew your mind the most. It's going to be me because it's me versus Sam. I'm not saying that Sam. Is it doesn't. I'm just saying it's going to be me. I want. That no, was now I'm I heard what you said. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the Dracula voice either to like make it funny. It's, it's me just... two against Sam. Oh, I wouldn't stand a chance against Dracula. <laughs> no, it's me against Sam. And I'm sure that we have equal chances of winning. The person who's going to go first is the one who most recently gave blood. When was the last time? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. It's been a long time for me too. I, I give blood to my doctor like once every, in fact, I'm scheduled to do it today and I didn't, but I should have mm-hmm. um, but regularly. Like to but this is to the, yeah, this is to the people who need it, the yeah. vampires. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was in high school maybe. Oh, okay. It's been a long time. Oh, all right. Well, it was definitely me then. I got the good blood. I got the universal donor blood, so I feel uh, bad not doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Um, so I, I probably gave blood the last like two, three years ago. Mm. I have B positive, which yeah. is a nice little reminder for me. I do too. And my dad would always make jokes about it because oh. I'm like not a super optimistic person all the time. And you just be like, B positive, Sari. Just very like, weird. Go to, go to <laughs> yeah. your room, dad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm being an angsty teen right now. <laughs> I don't need that. Mm-hmm. All right. So I guess that means I go first. Everybody, you know about dolphins, right? Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> they are like bats in one way, but almost no other ways. We talked a little bit about how bats are in scrotifera, but uh, sure it do. turns out dolphins are also, weirdly enough, in scrotifera. Whoa. What? What Even a stupid group. Though they don't have scrotums. Uh, <laughs> but they, but they, their ancestors do. Mm, they used to have a scrotum. Yeah. They look so funny. Were they external? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. They, well, their ancestors were like... Uh, like cows and stuff, like uh-huh. horses, and I don't <laughs> they just know. get bitten stuff like off that. one generation. No, it, was just, it wasn't good for it wasn't good for swimming. <laughs> we need to do an episode about evolution. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> I know. Yeah, camels, pigs, ruminants, and uh, and whales are all sort of like huh. together. Cool. Um, and uh, and so those things have scrotums, but the the dolphins that would be really uncomfortable if they're just hanging out, flopping in the yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's not what my fact is about. Um, <laughs> so. Not real. <laughs> so so they are somewhat closely related. Like they're more closely related to each other than they are to us, for example. Mm-hmm. But they are very different things. Like it's a tiny fuzzy thing that flies in the air versus a big not fuzzy thing that swims in the oceans and mostly just the oceans. But they do have this thing in common where they both echolocate. They see with sounds and they do it a very efficiently and effectively. And this is a thing that evolved. Um, and it evolved from two animals that, like evolved it independently of each other. But since they're fairly closely related animals, it turns out they evolved this in exactly the same biochemical way. 
Mm-hmm. So usually convergent evolution is a thing that happens when like, you know, a bat and a bird both have wings, but they got their wings in totally separate ways. Like right. a bird's wing is the whole arm. A bat's wing is just the fingers is just a separate thing. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the same protein, Preston, in the ear, has the same mutations in it that makes it different from our Preston in dolphins as it does in bats. They have the same different genes, but they evolved those different genes entirely separately. Hmm. It's the, one of the best cases of convergent molecular evolution there is, and it was only recently discovered, and it's I find it very cool. That is very Weird. cool. What does the gene specifically do? Does it just like... It codes uh, for like a little hair in your ear. Okay. That hears better. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a, it's a change that lets lets them hear more sensitively. That's interesting to me because dolphins also don't have big ears to channel the sound mm-hmm. in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the fact that they have the same mutation in that functions underwater and right. above water and without ear in, like, flaps. like the ear area. Do yeah. yeah. Well, I assume dolphins have ears, but do they open to the outside world? Because I know, like, there's whales that have, like, internal ears. I think it's whales. But then sound just transmitted through their jaw. There's, like, a a material in their jaw that can transmit the sound to their ear canal. Dolphins do have a tiny, tiny little ear hole. Okay. It is pretty much invisible unless you're looking for it. But that is where the sound goes back in. Yeah. And that's where their little, their, their Preston their little hairs, are. hairs are. There are 14 points of mutation that they share with bats, mm-hmm. um, and they all changed in exactly the same huh. way. Whenever uh-huh. my son walks into a place that echoes, uh-huh. like it's like it sounds different because it's, you know, got some r- reverb quality. He goes, bop, bop, bop. Bop. And I'm like, you are echolocating, aren't you? <laughs> Maybe he's got the little ear. It's hairs. super cute. Like you walk into a tunnel and he's like, bop, <laughs> bop. <laughs> he's going to catch some bugs. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my fact. Good. Hit me, Sam. All right. So bats echolocate mm-hmm. to find food. Yeah. I think. All right. Bugs. And one thing that they eat moths uh-huh. and this is a conjecture on my part but a moth seems like a pretty good food for a bat because yeah. they're big and they don't f- seem like they fly so great yeah. and they're very easily confused by lots of stuff including light so they can just swoop around and eat them but there are some types of moths who have learned to fight back against bats so there's a family of moths called the tiger moth family and they make clicking sounds by vibrating membranes inside of them. Scientists have known about this for a long time and that a lot of tiger moths are poisonous, and so they click to alert bats not to eat them because they are poisonous. Mm. But there's a type of tiger moth called the Bertholdia trigona, which has way louder clicks and isn't poisonous, and nobody could figure out why until 2009. So in 2009, they tied a bunch of moths to the ceiling... With, like, fishing line, I think. <laughs> and they were just dangling down. And they let bats out into this room to eat the moths. And some of the moths could make the sound. And some of them had been altered so that they could not click. What they sure discovered in a very humane way. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably not just with a big needle poked through. <laughs> so what they found was that the bats caught the non-clicking moths 400% more often mm. than they caught the clicking moths. Uh, and the ones trying to catch clicking moths, the bats trying to catch clicking moths, looked confused and hesitant to try to catch the moth. Mm. So what they determined after taking a closer look was that the moths could make 4,500 clicks per second, which basically made like a curtain of sound that mm. the bats 
got like garbled feedback from their echolocation. Jammed so they, the radar. Yeah, totally. So they couldn't tell where the moth was. So they would like swoop in, into like thin air and not be able to grab the moth. That's it. That's, That's so cool. I love that. Wow. Oh, I thought I was a shoe in but now I'm not so sure. I also, we did a SciShow uh, on various moth strategies for not getting eaten by bats. And it's also potentially why they're fuzzy. It's because it, like the echolocation <sighs> bounces back it. less, less it's sound efficiently. Foam. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It's sound foam for, for moths. For moths. Whoa, so moths have just devoted their lives to not, not getting eaten, eaten by, by bats, bats. Which is probably a I pretty guess, good strategy a for sense, yeah. a slow moving, <laughs> juicy bit yeah. of food that lives in the air. How do they make the clicks? Like, is it, do you know anything about the organ that does that? I couldn't find anything that described it super. It just said membranes inside Ooh, of them. Okay. okay. So, that makes clicky sense. Membrane. Yeah. Yeah. membrane. And so the poisonous ones make a lot softer clicks that the bats avoid. Right. But the louder ones, the bats don't avoid. So that's why they were like, what's going on here? I mean, my thought would be like, they're just trying to pretend like I will also, I'm also clicky. Yeah. I, I'm poisonous, like a, like a, uh, a mimic. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are non-poisonous ones that do that too. Oh, okay. These ones just like, they're so loud. You can hear them without any kind of like mm. special equipment. Hmm, you can okay. just hear them flying around in fields. All okay. right. Those were two yeah. very good facts. I have no idea what I would choose, but me. So, <sighs> <laughs> I'm gonna give mine to Sam because ah, that was more mind blowing to me. <laughs> just like learning about the the curtain, the sound it's really curtain. Good. Is it just, is. They're jamming the so radar, but convergent me- molecular evolution. I know. <laughs> Fourteen <laughs> points. <laughs> Do have a good probability. Yeah. <laughs> well, mine's that probability too, right? Sam's is less mind blowing from a statistical standpoint, but the mechanism is more mind blowing. So I'm gonna give it. No! <laughs> I was very satisfyingly mind blown by both. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. But oh. I got more points. <laughs> now, You're I, will sur- I will survive. <laughs> it is now time to ask the science couch where we ask listener questions to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. At Gannon188 and at Biology Alex ask Is there any cure for the fungus, aka white nose syndrome, that's wiping out the United States Northeast population of bat? You're looking at me like I have any idea. <laughs> I have never. I got, you know I got nothing. Have I know, you heard of white nose syndrome? Yeah, yeah, it's a definitely a problem. And, and like the question has been, in my understanding, is this just a really bad pathogen, or is there some human cause that is making it worse, like pesticides or habitat loss or something that is making it more common for it to be spread more easily? And I don't know the answer to that. I saw a picture and it looks a lot like moldy nose. Yeah, it's oh. like you get a fungus face. Is fungus yeah. and mold, yeah. are those the same thing? Yeah, I mean, okay. mold is a fung- fungus. So yeah, it is a fungus. I don't know if we're confused about how or why it spreads. But yeah. it started in winter 2006 in Albany, New York, uh, as far as we know. It was probably other places too, but that was the first documented case of it where they found dead bats with white fuzz around their nose. Mm-hmm. It's a fungus called, oh gosh, I couldn't find a pronunciation, so this is just me doing my best with my biology knowledge. Pseudogymnoascus destructans. Ooh. That's a bad name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they I were don't like, want that. This one bad. <laughs> and it attacks the skin of bats. So that's why it shows up around their nose because uh-huh. that's not where they're as fuzzy. But it also attacks like their wing tissue, mm. anywhere that is exposed skin. And essentially what it does is like this attack on their immune system makes them wake up 
when they should be hibernating. So mm-hmm. during the winter times, during the daytimes, and use their fat reserves when like they should be conserving energy. So it destroys their tissue and then leads to really malnourished looking bats, really uh, their wings like tighten up mm. for some reason. Um, I think it's like the, the whatever makes it flexible maybe mm-hmm. gets destroyed. I watched a video and like a woman was pulling on a bat wing, which would normally stay extended and it like contracted really quickly. Mm. Oh. Why does it wake them up? Because they're in pain or something or no. just messes I, them up? I think so. I think it like messes up something with their with their internal systems. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly how it attacks them, but it's like a bad infection. It'd be like getting a bad cold, mm-hmm. but fungus in your body, I guess, which is not the same as a cold. One source that I was reading called it one of the worst wildlife diseases in North America. So since winter 2006, it's killed over 6.7 million bats by mm. some estimates, um, which is a lot. Yeah, And it can kill 70 to 90% of bats in an infected uh, I love this word, hibernaculum, Ooh. which is uh, the place where bats gather to all hibernate in oh, a group. Oh, yeah, nice. So, like, it's a, it's a hibernaculum of bats. Mm-hmm. Where sounds... do they hibernaculate? <laughs> <laughs> oh, caves, probably. Yeah, yeah. Your general bat places. Okay. Under... They don't have a, a special no. a special place. The, a lot of caves, yeah. And mm. this is, you can see maps of where this is found. It's mostly in the Northeast U.S., mostly in Canada, um, like that general region and they're finding it more and more western mm-hmm. in the united states and we've actually found this fungus infecting bats in other countries so like several other european countries and i think in china but in the u.s it's extremely deadly for some reason mm-hmm. and we think it was transported over here by humans yeah. not by bats um, because there's no way for a bat to migrate across mm-hmm. the ocean mm-hmm. in that way so it was probably like a human in a cave got the fungus on them, spread it to a different cave. Mm. And just like the colonizers, we have infected the bat population are now decimating (laughs) them. So that is white-nosed syndrome. We're trying to figure out possible cures for it. And a lot of the research that I found is pretty, like the beginning stages of it, and pretty recent. So one main avenue is like people studying the DNA of this fungus. And they found that One, it needs cold to grow. Mm -hmm. Like something about its genetic makeup makes it require cold. So we should heat the earth earth up. Oh, perfect. (laughs) We warm the planet, global. How would we do that? (laughs) uh, Good idea, but I need need some uh, avenues. At least the bats are going to (laughs) be. So they're not entirely sure what to do with that information, but also during the same genetic research where they discovered that it needs cold to grow, they also found that it's missing the repair mechanisms for DNA when it's damaged by UV light. So, I don't know, in all of our bodies, we have a bunch of cellular molecular biology mechanisms that, like, our DNA is constantly being damaged by UV light, Mm -hmm. having mutations, and then it goes back and fixes it. And so this fungus doesn't have it. So So we need to shine the light on the bats. Yeah, they're trying to figure out a way. I think they called it a UV tunnel or something, like constructing those at the entrance to caves. They have to, like, crawl through the UV light. Yeah, or, like, they fly through it and get blasted by UV light, which doesn't harm the bats because they have the repair mechanism. But the fungus doesn't. Oh. Uh, but it sounds extremely elaborate. Like you need yeah. a lot of <laughs> yeah. timing. And that would be good for maybe one cave <laughs> yeah. at a time. They also found that there is a fungal compound that inhibits the growth of P-destructins. They had 
I'm guessing like dishes of P-destructins and then vape like sprayed this vapor this mushroom vapor on them mm-hmm. uh yeah. <laughs> vaping that truffle butter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we either so okay so our yeah. solutions are global warming just uv tunnels and mm-hmm. the bats have to vape yes sounds great for the bats <laughs> yeah they can like tan and vape uh-huh. <laughs> pretty cool um and one professor has tested bat vapes but he called it a bat fogger instead oh. <laughs> Okay. I think he used some sort of antifungal volatile organic compound, which is what this mushroom alcohol falls into. So some mm-hmm. sort of chemical. I'm not sure if it, it was this exact one and sprayed a bunch of fog into an abandoned railway tunnel where bats roost. Mm-hmm. And the just the numbers were higher than they expected. Like this was a colony that they'd known was infected with white nose syndrome. Mm-hmm. It had been decimated in years past and it was like slightly higher than they expected it to be. Okay. So maybe it helped. We're not sure. Mm. But it doesn't seem to be something that's going away on its own. Like I haven't heard as much about white nose syndrome as I did like in 2011, I feel like. But that's just because we got tired of talking about it, not because the problem's gone away. So the people who are studying these bats and studying white nose syndrome have also just been tracking numbers of mm-hmm. like population numbers to see what is happening and what where they have to concentrate their efforts and it seems like certain colonies are rebounding by themselves hmm. so like uh to give you a sense of the scale one that they were monitoring had about 90 adult bats in 2010 and then in 2018 when the article I'm reading is published, it rebounded to 200. And they're not entirely sure why. Like, is is some sort of natural selection happening where maybe bats that are more resistant to the fungus and this disease are surviving and passing on the genes that help mm-hmm. them? Or is it behavioral avoidance of sick bats? Like, are they mm. learning some sort of behavioral trait? Are they, mm. I don't know, is the just fungus? Just going to lay out in the sun. Yeah. The daytime, <laughs> just being like, what if we just like put a UV light in the cave and be like, if you guys want to use this, you can. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine leaving little presents in each of the bat cave. It's like a y- little UV lamp, a little vape pen. <laughs> Here you go. Take space care of heater. Yeah, space yeah. heater. <laughs> <laughs> Do with it what you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, it, so it is like a very intense, very devastating thing. And people are worried about the bats. It, and it like sucks that it was probably human caused. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so humans want to try and fix it. But epidemics happen in nature all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. species adapt or bounce back or don't d- go uh, extinct <laughs> locally. No. So yeah. something's going to happen. Oh, no. I'll go shine lights on bats. I'll yeah, Sam's got a new job. Gonna go to every cave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to ask the Science Couch, you can do that by following us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out the topics for each episode every week. All right. So it looks as if I lost. Sarah, you've got <laughs> two points. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, for... that's not a winning? Oh, no. no. It's not. <laughs> Stefan, you've got one point. Sam. Yeah. Oh. Pulling out the win with three Hank bars. How? I should have thought about this. Oh, yes. I know how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> one plus two. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, I don't trust you to tally up all no. our scores now. <laughs> you better build a spreadsheet so I can check your math. <laughs> all right. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it is super easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's going to help us know what you like about the show. And also other people will know that too. Second, 
second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from this episode. I love it when I see those. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, tell people about us. Thank you for joining us today. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sarah Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and WNYC Studios. It's produced by all of us and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our art is by Hiroko Matsushima, and our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Von Giorno, and we couldn't make any of this stuff happen without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Is it about bat poop? It is about bat poop. All my facts are about bat poop. (laughs) They got good poop. They got great poop. Bat guano has a really high nitrogen content, specifically compounds called nitrates, which if you put them through a couple synthesis process can be turned into things like fertilizer, but also gunpowder. And Mm. so at times like this particular one is a civil war. When supply chains were cut off to the Confederacy, they would go to bat caves, mine a bunch of bat poop, put them in kilns and create gunpowder from poop. So we killed each other with bat poop. Yeah. Get, leave it to humans. <laughs> yeah, it's Everything ingenuity of us. Yeah. Bloodthirsty human being. <laughs>